Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Bowshield wasn't satisfied with any of the bike lubes on the market, so they engineered their own. Their research proved that none of the Teflon, silicone, or synthetic formulas held up when exposed to dusty, dirty, and muddy conditions. For that reason, Bowshield T9 is designed to offer long-term lubrication and protection in any environment. Bowshield T9 waterproofs your bike chain, lubricates cables, and prevents rust with its effective all-in-one formula. The paraffin-based lube flushes out dirt and old lubricants, displaces moisture, and penetrates moving parts. Then it dries to a clean, continuous wax film that performs better than Teflon and lasts up to 200 miles. Bowshield T9 is designed to resist picking up dust, dirt, or mud, which makes it a good choice for all riding conditions. This month, Bowshield is giving away a free prize pack to a lucky listener. Go to singletracks.com slash Bowshield to enter and visit Bowshield.com to learn more or click the links in the show notes. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. My name is Jeff and today my guest is Kate Courtney. So in 2012, Kate was the first American woman to win a UCI mountain bike world cup junior title and then in 2017 she won the under 23 world cup overall title in 2018 she won gold at the uci mountain bike world championships and then the next year she took the overall uci mountain bike world cup title recently kate was named to the 2020 olympic team for cross-country mountain biking thanks for joining us kate hi thanks for having me got to start off by asking you how this coronavirus thing is affecting your training with all the races and everything sort of up in the air at this point. Absolutely. I think it's it's a tough time for all of us cyclists, especially those who are very excited for the 2020 Olympic year. Mm -hmm. But it's just an added challenge that we have to adapt to. And I think there's a lot of really positive parts of it. I personally love training at home and I have the chance now to put in a good strength block, make sure I'm healthy, eating good food. Uh, and of course getting out on my bike, um, right now we're still allowed to ride outside. So that's a huge bonus. Um, but I'm prepared to ride indoors if that becomes necessary or if in any way that could help reduce the risk for other people. But for right now, we're okay to be out in our open spaces, which is great. And I think while it can be a really difficult time in terms of adjusting training and, you know, planning for goals in the future, it's also been one um, where our communities really come together. And for me, it's been great to connect with cyclists that are going through this and dealing with it and, and finding fun and creative ways to adapt our training and know that we'll be ready when we finally do get the chance to line up again. Yeah, that's great. Well, have you had to change your training plans, like in terms of when you're going to peak and and when you need to recover and that sort of thing? In some ways. So I'm, I'm a bit lucky in that I automatically qualified for Tokyo. So I have been, you know, really basing my season and my training around that July date, which of course we know is in question <laughs> and, and, We're waiting to see what the best course of action is going to be with that. But in terms of my training, it still is to peak 
for that one event. Mm -hmm. And for that, I'm pretty grateful. But of course, for the next few weeks where we're not racing and, and not quite sure what the next event will be that we're targeting, it's basically just a holding pattern. So <clears throat> getting some volume on the bike, getting some volume in the gym, but not training too hard is, is actually going to be <laughs> something we need to think about because when the races are finally announced and the time does come, you want to be healthy and strong and ready to put in a really big top end block and get to the start line ready for those fast paced races. Yeah. Well, the story goes that your dad got you into mountain biking at an early age. And I know a lot of mountain bikers would love to see their own kids enjoying the sport someday. So tell us how you got started. Yeah, I discovered mountain biking when I was very young on the back of a tandem. As the, as the story goes, <laughs> I have a lot of cute tandem photos with my dad. <laughs> but for me, I think it was really important that I fell in love with the sport of mountain biking and with just being outside with you know, exploring the mountain and engaging with my community, whether that be, you know, hiking with my parents or riding my bike with my dad or, or being outdoors mm -hmm. with friends. That was a really big part of my childhood and something that was very ingrained in me and, and drew me to the bike and drew me to these mountains and continues to do so. So I kind of discovered that side of the sport before I started racing or even knew about mountain bike racing. And I think for kids, from what I see, it's, important to let the bike be whatever it is to the kid at the time. So let it be a fun tool to test yourself, a fun way to explore, a great way to spend time with your dad. And of course, for me, a vehicle to blueberry pancakes was critical, Yeah, still is critical. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that's something that my parents did really well is they never expected anything to come of any of the different sports I did or, or really mm -hmm. put pressure on me to have it be a certain way or to make certain progress. They just let me explore and pursue what interested me. And they supported that. And of course, use that to like teach me the values that would help me in those sports. So, you know, sticking with it. And if I wanted to do a sport, I, I had to put in my full effort and show up and right. be prepared. But there was never any pressure with it. So yeah. I think for me, that was a really special thing and can be unique when there are some families that are really passionate about their kids being cyclists. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that seems to be the challenge is for a lot of, of people who are mountain bikers themselves. Yeah. Just kind of pushing it too hard and, and not letting the kid sort of make it their thing, I think is a challenge. Yeah, it is tough because we all love bikes and <laughs> it's, it's exciting to be able to share that. Yeah. Well, as a high schooler in 2012, you won the UCI World Cup mountain bike in the junior category. So were you a part of the Northern California NICA League? So I was. That's actually how I discovered mountain bike racing. I tried out for my, well, tried out is a strong word. There were no girls <laughs> and there were five people. So I joined my high school mountain bike team in the spring of my freshman year of high school. And at the time, really, honestly, just saw it as cross training for cross country running. Mm. I think uh, my freshman year of high school is the first time that I ever was like really good at sports. Mm -hmm. I would say that I've always been an athlete and I was always celebrated for being like a hard worker and, <laughs> you know, like learning and being really dedicated. But I was never winning in all the sports I did growing up. I was never like the breakout star. Huh. And my freshman year of high school, I won the regional cross country meet and, and was really like inspired that this is okay. I'm, I'm going to be an athlete. I'm going to be a runner. <laughs> this is going to be great. And 
didn't want to run track in the spring. So I was like, okay, I need to support my running career. I'll, I'll join this mountain bike team. Mm -hmm. And I would say like five minutes after my first mountain bike race, I turned to my mom and said, I'm never running again. (laughs) (laughs) This is it. Wow. So yeah, it was, it was a pretty great introduction to the sport. Yeah. Well, what was the local competition like in Marin County for mountain biking at that time? Were there a lot of other high schoolers that really pushed you or, or was it still like kind of a small, small group? Well, it's interesting. I think one thing about high school mountain bike racing is that, you know, it's at a time when kids are developing really quickly. So a freshman versus a senior is a big difference. Ah, right. So if you race the varsity category as a freshman or a sophomore, you're going to have really good competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's that to start with. I also was part of the junior development team um, and often would train with the boys on that team. Mm-hmm. I was on an all boys high school mountain bike team as well. So I think, you know, trying try to keep up with those guys was always a good <laughs> challenge. Yeah. And it also was a really interesting time in the NorCal League, which is one of the oldest and biggest of all the NICA weeks. And, um, at the time, you know, the top five in California between NorCal and SoCal were pretty much the same podium as the national championships. Hmm. And that was like a, a really interesting time. You know, Shana Paulus race, Alexis Ryan, Yeah, who else was there? There's, there's a few other girls who, you know, race professionally now, which is really crazy to think about Yeah, that we all like raced you know, February through (laughs) May every year at these, what I would consider now like very local races, Mm -hmm. but it was a great kind of intro to the sport for me. And it, it really taught me a lot about racing. It was highly competitive, especially when, you know, I was on the younger side of that category. So, so racing the older girls and it was also really close racing. So I think that's something that often as a junior or as a young racer, if the fields are smaller, they often split up and you don't learn how to be tactical and how to win and how to, you know, come back from third and take the win. Yeah. So having those really diverse race experiences were a huge part of my kind of stepping stone into mountain biking. Hmm. Yeah. That's fascinating. So who were your athletic heroes when you were growing up? Yeah, I think I had a few of them. I, I started out ski racing. Um, so that was my big sport when I was, younger and I was never very good, but, but I loved it. (laughs) And Lindsay Vaughn was always my, my big um, sports hero. I think she's really a a great symbol of hard work and, and dedication and pursuit of these big goals. And she's very tough. Not sure if you've seen her most recent documentary, but it's pretty inspiring. Yeah. So she, she was always my kind of hero when I was, you know, 13, 14, 15, and someone that I've looked up to in the sport. Yeah. That's really interesting too. Yeah. That to be able to see that like in other sports and then be able to kind of use that to inspire you to do your own sort of thing. I think it's also a really special time to be a female athlete in any sport right now. Hmm. Uh, and with social media and, and kind of the growing coverage of women in sport, it's been cool, you know, now as more of an adult to have heroes in the sport again and yeah. to have people from across different disciplines, whether it's meeting road bikers that are really inspirational or, you know, I've met cross-country skiers, rock climbers, downhill skiers that are really inspirational and are leading the way in their own sports. And it's been a cool time in the sport to be able to follow them and cheer for them, draw inspiration from them, but also kind of work together to see how we can improve the status for all women in sport. Yeah. 
That's really inspiring. So you graduated with a degree in human biology from Stanford in 2017. And, you know, honestly, it seems like a lot of people don't end up using their undergraduate degrees in the real world. But I imagine you actually do in some ways. Absolutely. I think, you know, whether or not people use their degrees specifically, I think they use the skills that they build in college mm -hmm. really broadly in whatever you do. So I'm, I'm really happy that I chose to go to school and I'm really grateful that I had the opportunity to do that, yeah. particularly while pursuing cycling. But for me, I think the biggest thing that I've taken away from it is just to be really critical of your sources. Hmm. And I think that, you know, through a lot of those biology courses and social science courses, I I had to parse through a lot of information. Mm -hmm. um, and as athletes, there's so many different approaches and so many things that you could be doing. Right. So learning to parse through that information and find the things that are relevant to you, mm -hmm. learn how to apply them and to also be able to be critical of the things that maybe don't work for you or that don't come from a source that you believe in. Mm -hmm. That's that's a hard skill to build. And I, I feel like I've gotten a lot of a you know, value out of the work that I did in college. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Cause yeah, again, a lot of people might look and say, Oh, you know, I'm going to be an athlete, so I don't need to pursue this education or whatever. Um, and yeah, it, it seems like, yeah, you definitely get a lot of value out of it. Yeah. I think even just in terms of, you know, your long-term goals for me, being an athlete is a huge opportunity. It's my favorite thing in the whole world to do <laughs> is to race my bike. So I'm really grateful to be able to do that, but you could go for a long time. There's a lot of women who are competing in their forties and crushing it. So I won't say anything is impossible. Like mm -hmm. if that's what you want to do, you can. Um, but for me, by the time I'm, you know, mid thirties, I will have raced on the world cup circuit for 20 years oh, geez. and <laughs> you know, like I, I will have the opportunity to do something else in my life mm -hmm. or even just use those skills to, live a really well-rounded and full life in cycling, but also beyond it. Yeah. Was that hard to understand? Like at the time you were going to school, like, were you really anxious to like, I just want to ride my bike or I don't know, were you more grounded and have people around you who were able to say like, look, bikes are going to be there, but you know, your education, you're really going to, you're going to appreciate that down the road. Yeah, I think in some ways it was hard to balance the two, but I really wanted to go to college. I was really excited about what I was studying and mm -hmm. it was an experience that I was really excited for. And I think that's that's the advice that I've given some of the younger riders who asked me about it is, oh, should I go to a school for biking or like how do I fit my athletic career in this? Yeah. And my answer is is go to a school that you're excited to go to mm -hmm. and it will be a positive part of your life hmm. and that will improve your racing. Like being a well-rounded and happy and balanced person makes you better at whatever you do. And for me, there were a lot of aspects of being a full-time student that were really difficult, but there are a lot of aspects that I think really helped me to kind of root down as an athlete to like figure out what I wanted to do and to be confident and committed to doing that once I graduated. Mm -hmm. And I think you know, in hindsight, if I had tried to race professionally full time from the first year U23, it would have been a really difficult and disappointing journey for me. Yeah. Yeah. Because the first few years in U23, I was just learning how to race and, and working my way up a little bit at a time. And in hindsight, 
you know, I feel that being a college student held me back just enough that I could accept that progress. Right. I say it was, you know, a really kind of linear rise in U23. I was eighth overall, fourth overall, second overall, and then first overall. Yeah. And by the time I graduated and, and that last year of winning the World Cup overall, I finally feel that I was ready to embrace being a full-time athlete and to believe that I mm-hmm. could be at the top and that that's really what I wanted to do. Yeah, that's that sounds like great advice for sure for a lot of people. So I read that in preparation for the 2019 season, you spent a lot of time improving your technical skills. So I'm curious to know, like, which skills did you work on and what does that training even look like for a professional? Yeah, I think it's always a really important part of being a mountain biker. The courses are really technical Mm -hmm. and they've continued to change and require different skills. For example, drops and jumps and rock gardens that are often man-made. And so they're not something that you maybe would intuitively know how to ride. Uh, It's something that you need to practice and to identify. And so that's been a goal of mine and a focus of mine since I was a junior and USA Cycling has helped us do skills camps and have different ways to work on this. Mm -hmm. But in the last year and in the preparation for 2019, I was able to join the Scott's Ram racing team, which has Thomas Frischneck as our team director. Mm -hmm. And Frischie, if you, if you don't know him, he's a legend in the sport. And for me has been a really great mentor and that's, that's how I've been working on technical skills, chasing him around and getting a lot of tips on what I could be doing better, not only in terms of improving those features, but honestly, more importantly, in terms of improving speed and handling and braking and cornering in between them. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you mentioned that cross-country courses are getting more technical. I mean, how do you and I guess sort of others in the field that maybe you've talked to, how do, how do you feel about that? Like, is that something that athletes are saying, yeah, we like more technical or do you think it's just being driven more by TV or marketing or, you know, like trying to make it a little more exciting for the fans? I think it's a balance. When I was a junior, they were kind of first experimenting with building features and jumps and drops. And there were actually a few races where I think they went a bit far and they had a lot of riders in the elite category get hurt Yeah, in South Africa and Peter Maritzburg when I was a junior in Cairns, Australia. They had a bunch of broken collarbones and broken ankles and, and oh, just, geez. <laughs> you know, some of the top riders getting hurt. And, and that is definitely not the goal of the promoters, definitely not the goal of the UCI. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think since then, I've seen a really good happy medium where riders are giving feedback and they're making courses exciting and challenging, mm-hmm. which for me as an athlete, I think is really important. Like we work really hard to be able to build these skills and to be able to ride strong and smooth on these really technical tracks. So Mm -hmm. we want to be able to showcase that. And we want a course that produces a fair and capable winner, but we also want it to be safe. And there's a lot of ways that you can make things really challenging and keep them really safe. Yeah. Well, along those lines, you signed on with Red Bull in 2017. And most people associate Red Bull with, you know, more like, jumping and yeah, more sort of lack of a better term, more extreme athletes. So what's, what's the appeal to being a Red Bull athlete and what do they have to offer athletes like yourself who are more focused on endurance and and speed sort of sports? Completely. Yeah. I definitely had that association. Um, as a younger athlete, I'd always seen, 
you know, really crazy, <laughs> amazing skills from Red Bull athletes. Yeah. But I think they also just really stand for excellence and pushing boundaries in whatever you're doing. And I had seen so many of the endurance athletes that they sponsor, not only doing amazing things in competition mm -hmm. and pushing the boundaries of endurance sports, but having these projects that connect them to the community and make them real people, like make them real yeah. well-rounded, interesting people who have these pursuits within their sport that may not be just competition. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for me, the opportunity to join Red Bull was really a chance to be associated with that excellence and to get to explore the limits of my own performance, but also beyond that to start to understand you know, what I wanted to achieve in cycling beyond that and what projects might be interesting and what collaborations we could do mm. to not only push my results in the sport and help me achieve what I want, but to really push the sport forward as a whole. Yeah. It seems like they're really, I mean, the best that there is in terms of like telling the stories of athletes like yourself. And I mean, yeah, the more, the more we see examples of like them sponsoring athletes and what they're able to do, it does make a lot of sense for sure. Yeah. And I think that's something that they do very well. And that is a bit unique is they're really a, a career partner. Mm -hmm. And I was, I signed with Red Bull my third year as a U23. Mm -hmm. And, you know, within my coaching team, we, we hoped that I was capable of making it to the top. But at that time, I was really, you know, kind of a top five finisher, not even in the elite category. I was in the U23 category. So when they signed me, I was kind of like, wait, who, me? Are you sure? <laughs> and part of that partnership was, you know, really doing testing and improving my training and working with them as part of my team. Mm. Um, and I think it's been a really positive thing, not only in terms of that actual support, but also in terms of seeing that, you know, oh, this big company believes in me, like maybe I'm capable of more. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's been really exciting to have them there from the very beginning of, you know, that first year that I started winning in U23 through winning the world championships and World Cup overall, they've really been there every step of the way in terms of support, but also pushing me to look for the next big possible achievement. Yeah, that's really interesting. So judging by what I've read and what I've seen on Instagram, clearly you're a big fan of yoga and obviously there are strength and flexibility benefits that help with mountain biking in terms of training and all that sort of thing. But are there other things that you get from yoga as well? Absolutely. I think some people in endurance sports in particular are always, always looking for the secret thing that they need to be doing and they can do every day. And, <laughs> mm -hmm. and I think people lose sight of the fact that, you know, often the best thing you can do is, is something you like to do. And I always have loved going to yoga. I've loved the classes. I find it really grounding and it's really good for my head. It's very calming and it's just something that feels good. And I have leaned into that and used it to you know, be able to do more mobility and stretching without having to maybe like sit and dedicate 20 minutes a day to doing that. I can do yoga and, you know, supplement it a bit with certain things that my PT gives me, but it's a really good grounding thing that doesn't take any mental energy. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's many different ways you can do that. And if you like sitting down and doing mobility, like awesome, do it. <laughs> but for me, yoga has been a great way to, you know, balance out what I do on the bike, but also give me a form of training that doesn't feel like training at all. Yeah. 
Well, after traveling the world to race your mountain bike, where are your favorite places to ride? Do you ever like get to just ride mountain bikes for fun or are you always like I'm always having fun. Focused on your training. Yeah. <laughs> you do both. You can do both at the same time. That's awesome. Yeah. No, I think um there's a few places. One of my favorite places will always be, of course, Marin County, where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And I think for most people who grew up riding bikes, like wherever they started is is going to be a special place in their mind. Partially just because I can always remember like, oh, I had to walk this section, I couldn't do this, or or just remarking on how much easier, how fast, how much faster you are. That makes those trails special for me. But Beyond Marin, I would say Lenzahide is one of my favorite places for potentially obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Switzerland's <laughs> been kind of like a second home for me ever since winning that title, but most importantly, since joining the Scots Rim team, I've had the chance to spend a bit more time over there and, and ride with Freshie, who obviously knows all the secret spots. So that's a one of my favorite spots. Yeah. Well, I mean, what is it? about these spots that are your favorites? I mean, is it, is it the scenery? Is that like what gets you or, or are you like focused on the, the quality of the trails or, or the climbs? Like what is it that makes a, a really good place to ride for you? I think it is a combination. Uh, it's a complete <laughs> experience and yeah. it can be different things. So riding in Marin, you know, some of my rides aren't necessarily that thrilling, you know, even just riding up a railroad grade fire road, is one of my favorite things to do on a mountain bike. And Mm. that's because that's the hour and a half loop that my dad and I have always done ever since I was little. Like we've always done that loop used to take us like three hours. Now it takes us an hour and 15 and (laughs) we have to like add on, but (laughs) something like that can be really special and fun in a way that, you know, doesn't necessarily rely on the quality of the trail. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Interesting. So have your goals shifted after you won the overall UCI World Cup title? Like, I imagine that was probably one of your big goals. And, and now that you've finally accomplished it, what do you what do you do? Like, what do you do next? I think that's one of the fun things about our sport is there's always a next goal. <laughs> of course, 2020 is centered around the Olympics mm-hmm. and the World Cup season, the World Championships. Those are all going to be targets. Mm-hmm. But they are also keeping us on our toes with the schedule. So (laughs) this year will be about adapting to that. And uh, my goal is just to be ready Mm -hmm. whenever I get the chance to line up. Yeah. Well, how does the Olympics stack up with the World Cup in terms of that excitement? I mean, it's got to be tougher because it is only every four years. So I guess, does that make it a little more special for you? Yeah, I'd say the Olympics is the pinnacle of any sport. The world championships within our sport is obviously the kind of prized, mm-hmm. prized win that prized rainbow jersey, but the Olympics goes far beyond just mountain biking and it has a big reach. So I think that's something that is really special and I hope I get the opportunity to race there this year. Yeah, let's let's hope so. Let's hope that it ends up happening when it's supposed to happen and yeah, that everybody is safe and healthy. Completely, yeah. So UCI competition has tended to be dominated by riders from Europe, which obviously makes your results as an American all the more impressive. So why do you think that European riders have done so well over the years? Yeah, first of all, I will say that if you go on the UCI website right now, they recently updated the points and uh, the U.S. went to first in the world for women for the first time in probably, you know, 20 years. (laughs) I'm not sure how long it's been. But that was a really exciting moment. 
And I think one that we are all very proud of as a team to have kind of performed to the level that we are in that spot. For sure. But yeah, I think, you know, from what I see, cycling is just a bigger sport in Europe. It's a little bit easier for them to race at a high level when they can just drive across the border and get to an HC race, you know, no matter what. And, and the U S is a bit bigger. So we're often flying to get competition and Mm -hmm. there's less races and they're a bit less technical, but I think the bigger thing is just that they start a bit younger as well. So I think for me, when I started in the junior category and did my first world cup, I was blown away. I couldn't ride the course. Like it was so challenging. Um, the girls were so strong and and really aggressive and knew how to race. Um, and I felt pretty new to it. And part of that is because they'd been racing each other in Swiss cups and Austrian cups and French cups since they were, you know, 10. (laughs) Wow. And that's something that I think can be a huge advantage early on. But I actually think that for me, having a variety of athletic experiences has become a bigger advantage later in my career. So, you know, ski racing, having that full like muscular strength and, you know, having really good bone density from (laughs) doing a lot of sports where I jumped around as a kid. I think all of those things can help with your longevity in the sport. It just does take some time to close that gap. Yeah. Well, do you think now that Nika is in more places that that's going to have an effect? I mean, it seems like you're sort of part of that first wave of athletes who had that available to them. And now it, it seems to be paying off. Yeah, I, I hope to see that. I think for me, you know, one goal is to see more riders from the U.S. racing at this level and, and making it a career if they so desire. Mm-hmm. But I also think Nika has a role far beyond that, which is just getting more kids outside and on bikes. Yeah, And it's really, you know, it is a sport that is a lifelong sport. Um, it's a lifestyle sport and you can do it far beyond your high school years. But it's also one that's very inclusive. And I think for kids at that age, having a sport where nobody gets cut from the team and the more the merrier on the trail, which I really think is the ethos of the mountain bike community is a really positive influence and also will, you know, really go to growing the American mountain bike community across the country. Yeah. And you've been really passionate about getting younger girls involved in mountain biking through various partnerships and also volunteering with the Little Bellas program. So how has that experience been for you and and what's sort of your outlook for women in particular in mountain biking? My outlook's really positive for women in mountain biking. (laughs) I think uh, it's a really special time to be an American lady on a bike. We uh, have equal prize money. There's really deep, really competitive fields the racing is really exciting and I think it's starting to get more and more recognition and attention, mm-hmm. but I definitely love to see little girls on bikes. That's one of my favorite things and yeah. being able to show them, you know, be some kind of positive role model is, is a really big honor for me. And I take that also as a very serious responsibility, but one of the biggest things that I've seen, and this is mostly through little Bella's is just that so many life lessons can be taught just by getting on a bike, you learn to challenge yourself that you can do more than you thought you could do. And (laughs) I think for little girls, like learning that you can get dirty and fall down and get up and be strong and be tough. Those are things that are better imparted on a bike ride and they mostly teach themselves. (laughs) So it's, it's something that I really believe in. I believe it can be really powerful and I'm excited to see that 
you know, from, from my perspective, there are so many more girls on bikes these days um, than when I was growing up. Yeah, that's really cool to see. Well, last year you changed sponsors from Specialized to Scott. I'm curious to know, is it tough to get used to riding a new bike when you make a change like that? There's definitely a transition, um, but it, it depends more on what equipment you're going to. Hmm. Um, for me, I'm really lucky that I am going to what I believe to be one of the best teams, one of the best brands, and we ride the best equipment available. So being on a Scott Spark, uh, of course, took a little bit of getting used to, but Mm -hmm. it's definitely been a huge part of my progression as an athlete. And it has a lot of features that have really helped me technically. Hmm. So I think that's been actually a really great change. And I think also, you know, as an athlete, it can be a bit scary to change everything at once. You know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. we love to have our like lucky shoes and oh, <laughs> like this cleat position is perfect. I can't get new shoes. Right. I can't change any of these things. But for me, doing a full rehaul on all my equipment helped me to actually identify things that maybe weren't perfect, but that I had been afraid to change. Yeah. I actually was wearing a shoe size that was half a size too big. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It, there is like a lot of small tweaks that you just, you never question your shoe size. You never wake up and say, you know, am I 38 and a half instead? Until you're looking at a new brand and you say, okay, I guess I need a 38, a 38 and a half, a 39. Like I want to try everything. And you say, oh, actually this is way better. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just a small detail, but I do think For people, even if you're staying on the same brand or if you're just getting new equipment, being really critical about getting a bike fit and having an open mind about what might work best for you is a really good strategy to finding the right fit. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm starting to get the impression that that this is a big part of your success, right? Is like just how you are able to look at things. So, you know, to some people like getting a new bike, it might be a scary thing. And it's like, oh, you know, I can't change this. But for you, it seems like you look at it as an opportunity to say, okay, let me look at everything that I'm doing and, and see if I'm doing it right. And maybe, maybe I can improve something here. Yeah, I think that that is a, a good summary of, uh, you know, part of my process. And I think for me and my coaching team, a lot of it is about just not having ego with anything. And that's hard to do sometimes, but to be really open to other people's ideas, yet still critical and confident in your approach is a hard balance to strike. And one of the people who does that best is my coach, Jim Miller. He will entertain any idea, but he researches it and he thinks about it a lot. And Mm -hmm. then he makes a decision and you can really trust that that is the right decision. So I don't have that panic of like, Oh, am I doing the right thing? Are we paying attention to the right things? that I think you feel when your coach is, oh, I know everything. Right. I'm not going to change anything. Like, this is your program. Yeah. It's the best program. Yeah. Jim, on the other hand, will be like, oh, you heard that? Interesting. Send it over to me. <laughs> and I'll send it. And I'll say, eh, you know what? Nope, that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> or he'll say, that's really interesting. This one aspect of that is a smart idea to try. Yeah. But he doesn't just, he's not changing his mind every which way, but he's open to learning and he assumes that there's always something to learn and an advantage to be gained from having an open mind. And I think that's what I found, you know, in changing brands and being open to what ways it might be better, what ways it might be challenging Mm. and really capitalizing on those opportunities. Yeah. That's, that's really great. And yeah, it sounds like you have a great example in your coach and it also just seems like given your background, that's just sort of like part of your personality as well. And, and obviously it served you really well. So would you say that you have any particular rivals in the women's elite field for this year in particular? I think 
this year is going to be a little bit of an interesting one. Hmm. Of course, you know, there's so many strong women and I'm used to competing with a field where anyone in the top five, top 10 can win. But I think it's going to mix things up a little bit. We've had a few injuries this year. Uh, We've also had the coronavirus situation disrupt our racing schedule. So I think it's going to be about what athletes can keep it together and focus on their preparation and be ready on the day that counts. Yeah, it's tough too. I mean, to think about just even given where somebody lives in the world, right? Like they may be impacted in a different way than, than say you are and and that can affect their training as well. So definitely seems like it's all sort of up in the air right now. Absolutely. It's, it's definitely going to be, uh, revealed as my mom says all will be revealed yeah yeah if only we knew when right i mean that's the hard part is uh, yeah none of us know like when things are gonna get back to normal if if they ever do completely but we will be ready when it does happen (laughs) yes i believe that so how has it been writing with and learning from nino scherter as uh part of the scott team it's been great. I am really lucky to be on that team and to be able to learn from Nino and of course, Frishy, our team manager. Um, I think both of them have a lot of experience and have had, you know, a whole range of experiences on the bike from winning to having really tough races, having seasons that went really well for Nino, mostly seasons that went really well. <laughs> but for both of them, I think they have, you know, been able to really push the limits of their abilities and stay at the top of their game year over year. Mm -hmm. And Nino continues to innovate and push himself and and find new ways to get an edge, even when he's been at the top for so long. And I think for me, it's really a great environment to be in. I think they are able to really prepare the best of any team I've ever seen, Mm -hmm. but also be relaxed and trust that. So it's, it's a really fun environment. And of course, when things go well, it's a really, really fun environment. (laughs) Yeah, seems like it. So finally, I want to ask you, if you weren't a professional mountain biker, what would you be doing? I don't know. I think for me at the moment, I'm, I'm really happy doing what I'm doing and haven't spent too much time thinking about that. Um, (laughs) I'm just lucky that I get to do this as my job for right now. And, um, I think for the next few years, I'm really focused on seeing, how far I can take the sport and what I can achieve. Uh, and beyond that, I think I'll have the opportunity to do something else, whether that's getting a different job or just writing a book, <laughs> who knows? Uh, I think the the options are pretty limitless. Yeah. Well, clearly you're very focused. And so I guess that answer shouldn't surprise me. Um, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's who you are and, and that's, you're focused on your goal and that's why you are so successful at what you do. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. I uh, really enjoyed it. And I know our listeners will too. Awesome. Thank you so much. So you can obviously keep up with Kate everywhere. She's all over the place, uh, but also on Instagram at Kate plus fate. And that's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>